Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning. If you're joining with us online, we're glad that you're here as well with us. Um, What do you do when you find out that you've been winning at the wrong game? What do you do when you find out that you've been winning at the wrong game. It could be the person, the parent who spends all their time trying to uh, get that promotion. They get that promotion and then they end up losing their family in the process. Uh, it could be the person who stays busy all the time and wakes up one day feeling overwhelmed with loneliness because they've pushed away all their friends. It could be the person who spends a lot of time Investing in their skill set and no time investing in their character. It could be a lot of things. What do you do when you find out that you've been winning at the wrong game? Today, uh, as we continue Disruptive Jesus, Jesus is going to tell a story that should disrupt all of us. Um, Because in it, he's going to be getting at this idea of one person who's trying to earn the favor of God. And, and you know, like it's, it's something that anybody, no matter their background, no matter their history, uh, no matter their belief system, if there is a God, if we grant that, then everyone would want to receive favor from God, right? Yes? Yes? If you're uh, on Facebook, hit, hit the like button if that's you, if you want to receive favor from God. Um, because that's what we're going to be getting at today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 18. Um, and in this, Jesus is going to confront a group of people who uh, by all accounts, were winning, but they were winning at the wrong game. Luke 18, uh, starting in verse 9. Uh, by the way, if you're here and you don't have one of these and you have one at home, bring one. It's good. It's good. It's good. That way you don't just trust what's on the screen. Those of you at home definitely have a Bible with you. Luke 18, verse 9. If you don't have one, I'll get you one. Just let me know before you leave, okay? Or let us know in the comments. We'll get you one. Luke 18, verse 9. I'll actually get it to it now. Luke says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Quick Bible uh, study tip. Every time Jesus tells a parable, a parable has one point. A parable has a point. And Luke is telling us the point of the parable. He's saying this to people who looked at themselves as righteous and in the process looked down on everyone else. So he's going to get at this. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. It sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. A Pharisee, a tax collector, going to the bar. Only they went to the temple to pray. A Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like other people. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? A little bit lately? No one's going to admit it. Okay. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. God, I'm awesome. Thanks. So in this, before we get into this, let me, let me just make sure we all understand the dynamics here at work. This would have been a shocking uh, story for Jesus to tell. Why? Because of the characters that are in it. On one end of the spectrum, you got the Pharisee. They are the religious elite. These are the guys who are the professional Jews. Okay, they know the Torah. 
by heart. Like they memorized it. They didn't remember a verse, the memory, memory verses. No, these guys knew the whole thing. Every word, the Torah, the first books of the Bible, they understood it, they knew it, they memorized it, they could recite it to you. They knew the word of God. These were the guys who, man, if you could look at them and imagine the people who were closest to God, it would be them. They had it going on. And then some. They were all that and a bag of chips. You know, hot Cheetos. That's good. No one that fan of hot Cheetos. Okay. Whatever your favorite bag of chips is, that's what they were and they had it, had it going on. And then on the other end of the spectrum was the tax collector. These were the people who, a good first century Jew in the second temple Judaism world, they would have looked at these people as traitors. They would have looked at these people as scum. They would have looked at these people as the people they need to deal with and by deal with, get rid of, get whatever that means for them. They need to get out of here. These were the people who, for for Jewish people, they were oppressed by a Roman empire. The Rome, Roman empire, they were... Uh, they were over them. In, in other words, like it'd be like another nation coming into America and being in charge. They didn't like it. Just like none of us would like that. They were oppressing them. And these were the people, these Jews who decided, you know what, I'm going to turn my back on my fellow Jews. I'm going to get in bed with the Roman Empire and I'm going to make my money there because they became tax collectors. And these are the people who were taking the Roman taxes, but they also could take extra. It, went, it didn't matter. They could take as much as they wanted. And so they were cheating their own people out of their money so that the Roman Empire could continue to expand. Let's just say the people the good first century Jews didn't like tax collectors. They didn't like them. They saw them as traitors to their country, to their people. And so Jesus tells the story. And this would, wouldn't have been very surprising. A, a, a Jew wouldn't have really seen any issue with this prayer. Just like many of you, as you were hearing that read, you probably were like, ah, that's all right. Like, God, thanks for making me not terrible. That's a pretty good prayer, right? Like, thanks, thanks, God. But if you look at it, if you just give it a little bit more, a second glance, it becomes clear what the Pharisee thinks about himself. What does he say? God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. So he starts to list off things that in his own world he doesn't struggle with. Did you ever notice that it's easier to be against the sins you don't struggle with than it is the sins that got you going? Did you ever notice that? For him, greed wasn't a thing. Unrighteousness in his own eyes wasn't a thing. Adultery wasn't his thing. He wasn't like the tax collector. At least he was better than the tax collector at the end of the day, right? And so the Pharisee said, uh, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm pretty awesome, actually. And then he also said, hey, I fast twice a week. For a Jew, the law only required them to fast once a year. So this dude's fasting twice a week. Extra credit, amen? Right? And he's also giving a tenth of everything he gets. That was above and beyond what he needed to do. There are certain things that they had, certain herbs and certain uh, possessions that they were supposed to tithe out of. And he was tithing out of everything. So in his own mind, he was good. He had it going on. He was winning at the game he was playing. But the 
the thing is, what Jesus is getting at is that he was winning at the wrong game. Because his pride was taking over. It was, it'd be like this, like in, in a game, right? Let's say it's a, it's a football game. The wide receiver, it'd be like the wide receiver who only wants to get their stats. If it's a run play, they don't block. Cause that's not really about them. They don't want to win the game necessarily. They just want to look good. They want to make sure that they're looking good. It's like that. And, and so the, the Pharisee was just like, Hey, I'm doing really, really awesome. And these other people, I don't know what they're doing, but I'm feeling pretty good myself. And this is what we do too, right? Because we want to be looked up to. We want to be respected. We want to do a good job at whatever it is that we do. So sometimes we can allow pride to creep in. And then we start to say, hey, man, like, yeah, I struggle. But at least I'm not that bad. You know them? Like, at least I'm not struggling as much as they are. And that's what we do. That's the subtlety of pride as we start to demote other people and elevate ourselves. We start to criticize others so that we can start to feel better about ourselves. And the irony is, in the Pharisee's world, by trying to do really good, by trying to earn the favor of God, by trying to do all the right things and be about what God would want, in the process of him trying to pursue that life, he failed, he missed the point altogether. Because he was looking down on others rather than loving others. And Jesus says that loving God and loving others is the whole law in a nutshell, right there. That's the point. So here's the thing. It's possible to know the Bible better than everyone else and yet still miss the point. It's possible to know the word of God inside and out and yet miss the point altogether. Because for some reason, this Pharisee didn't see his own pride. So Jesus goes on and he brings in the other character. And this would have been shocking because this is what he says in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus looks at the people who are listening to him, likely Pharisees. Likely religious folks, just like you and me. Because guess what? You're at a church building for a church service. And those of you who are watching, watching a church service, participating. It's easy for us to think, oh, we're the tax collector. Yeah, we're good. He's looking at all the religious people. And he says this, I tell you, this one went down to heaven or went down to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so the most shocking result of this story has come about that the traitor, the tax collector, the sinner was the one who was justified before God, who was the one who had received favor from God. And he wasn't the one who did all the right things. Instead, he was the one who understood his own reality, his own sinfulness, and beat his chest, wouldn't even look up to heaven because he felt so unworthy to be in God's presence that all he could ask for is mercy because he understood his own self in reality. See, the Pharisee was living under a delusion to think that he was no longer a sinner, to think that he didn't have to to, to, to go to God in repentance. 
But this tax collector looked at, at, his, at, the, at the ground and, and asked God for mercy. When he says a sinner, the Greek of that is actually a definite article. He's saying he's the sinner. He's not in a bucket of sinners. He's the sinner. Just like Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners. If you look at your own life and your own sinfulness doesn't uh, bother you, then you're missing it. But everyone else's does? We're missing it. And for this tax collector, he didn't have time to worry about what everyone else was doing. He only understood that his own sinfulness was overwhelming and he needed mercy. He needed mercy. He needed mercy. So what do you do when you find out that you're winning at the wrong game? You see, there are some strongholds that need to be broken apart in our lives so that we don't find ourselves at the place that the Pharisee found them at. And the the first stronghold is pride, is, is this idea that we put our focus on ourselves. And when we put our focus on ourselves, what pride will do, pride will convince us uh, that, that we are no longer sinful because pride is something that tells us that we don't have a problem, everyone else does, and it's this perpetual cycle because the longer we are prideful, the longer we don't see our own sinfulness, the longer we live in a self-delusion. See, pride can manifest itself in either arrogance or insecurity, and both of those are wrong because both of them are having the focus too much on ourselves. Pride is something that will get in the way and it's so subtle, it's like a ninja and you've got a ninja star in your chest before you even realize what's going on. That was a pretty cool illustration, right? <laughs> but it's true. Pride is something so subtle that oftentimes we never see it. We never see it. And by the time we realize it, we're at a place we never thought we would go. What Jesus is saying is that, hey, when you deal with pride, when you exalt yourself, you'll get dropped real quick. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. But one day, your pride will cause you to be humiliated. Cause you to lose everything. And so pride is a stronghold that we need to let go of. And I think the antidote to that is having our focus on Jesus. Because pride will tell us that we should compare ourselves to other people. It'll tell us, hey, I, I'm doing pretty good because they're doing pretty bad. And I can look at their, their defeats and I can look at my victories. I can feel pretty good about myself. But what Jesus would want us to do is to fix our eyes on him so that when we look at him, we compare our every day, all of our lives to his life, the life of Jesus Christ. And when we compare, make that comparison, oh, friends, we're not doing too good. Right? Not, not doing too good. And so when we learn more, when we progress to a place of spirituality where we're walking with Jesus and we feel like we're growing, it's easy for pride to slip in because as soon as we think that we've got something going on, it's really easy for us to look at the people who are not there in our own eyes and we say, what? What are you doing? Come on. How dare you not do that? Just a little example. Let's say you've never practiced generosity in your life and one day you decide that you don't feel like God's convicting you to start trying that. And so you, you say, you know what, I don't know about a tithe, 10%. I don't know about that, but let me give five. Let me give 5%. And then you, you start to notice other people, like family members or friends, and you have these conversations 
and you notice that there's a lot of people who don't practice generosity, and you start, because now you are, because you've arrived, now you start looking down at them. It's very easy, it's very subtle, when you think that you're right, when you think you've got it going on, to look at others and discount the work of God in them. The second thing is comparison, and pride leads to comparison. We need to focus on Jesus, and that will call, cause us to, to no longer compare, because it doesn't work very well. And the third stronghold is moralism. You see, there is a tendency for us in the church to allow our faith to become just a list of do's and don'ts. Because let me tell you, that's an easy message to preach. Do this, don't do that. It's an easy message to tell yourself. It's an easy measuring stick because a lot of us like control. And by the way, that's the fourth stronghold. A lot of us like control. And so since we like control, we just want to know, all right, what's the list of do's? What's the list of don'ts? And that's what the Pharisees found themselves doing. Let me just do this. Let me not do that. And we're good. But what, what God wants for us is for us to bring our messy, broken, complex lives to him. With, with a realization that he is the only one who can give us grace and mercy. We have nothing to offer. Our good deeds don't stack up at all. They don't count for anything. Scripture says they're, they're nothing but a dirty rag to God. They don't, they don't count for anything. Because his call on our lives is for us to be holy, just as he is holy. And last time I checked, perfection is not in my life. It's not in yours either. And so Jesus is telling his story so that they would understand that pride is not a place we want to go to. C.S. Lewis said this about pride. Pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Pride is a sticky thing. And it's hard for us to recognize it in ourselves. So like, really, like, if you've found yourself struggling with pride, if you're aware of it, amen, God is working in you. Because most people are not that self-aware. Like my, my prayer today is that maybe God would ooze up in you an awareness of the pride that you have because all of us have some pride. You may notice it in arrogance. You may notice it in insecurity. But all of us have some pride. All of us have something in us that tells us we can feel better about this if we just diminish those people. Whatever those people, whoever they are in your life. You know, the people who don't get it, the people who don't do it right, the people who don't think like you, you do. Like, let, let me just say this. I've started to notice, um, out, you know, after the, the, the week that we've had, uh, people starting to get really upset about the fact that our country in many states are now legalizing things that we look at and are like, that should not be legal of all things. A lot of drugs, a lot of things like that are being legalized. And we're like, man, this, this country is headed to hell in a handbasket. As if that's new news. My friends, let me just ease your minds with something. There has never been a time in our country, in any country in the world, where we have had uh, morality at a surplus. We've always been deficient in that. But now, some people are just getting a little bit more comfortable with it, a little bit less shameful about it, and now it's just creeping in a little bit differently. 
But it's always been there. We've always been morally deficient. We're just now more aware of it. And so what a divided country needs more than anything else, what a divided world needs more than anything else, is what Jesus prayed for. And that is for his people, the church, to be unified. That's what he wants. For us to to choose love over pride, to choose love over comparison, to choose love over condemnation, because last time I checked, that's what Jesus said we're called to do. And last time I checked, he conquered sin, death, and evil by loving us, by giving himself over so that he would have the sacrifice so that we could be exalted because he decided to humble himself. Last time I checked, love is still the answer. Last time I checked, Jesus is still king. And it doesn't matter what happens in this country or what happens in this world. You can take heart in the fact that King Jesus is still on the throne and that he's still coming back and he will deal with all the evil in them and in you and in me one day. And that is something to rejoice in and just keep heart in because he is still the king. And this world has always chosen a different king. But it's up to us, the church, his people, the one who, ones who are called the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, the bride of Christ, to be the people God's called us to be. To not get so caught up in everything else that's going on around us and for us to be committed and keeping our focus on Jesus. And I pray that that is something that we can call, just come into grips with as we continue to move forward and what this year is and what next year will be and the rest of our lives. We need to be reminded that winning at the wrong game isn't winning at all. So there are three conditions, I think, that the, that the Pharisee shows us of a perfect storm of looking down on other people. So last time I checked, I'm sure that all of us would do better and we would probably prefer to not look down on other people, right? Maybe. I hope so. Okay. So allow me to be the weatherman, meteorologist, three conditions for a perfect storm of looking down on other people. Okay, number one, we view our rightness or righteousness inaccurately. When we are convinced that we are on the right side of this, we're on the right side of truth, we're on the right side of this, and that causes us to have a pride that comes in us, especially on things that we're not actually sure about, that's a condition. That could open the door to pride. Number two is forgetting our own sinfulness in the past and in the present. My friends, we should regularly remind ourselves of where we've been in our lives. You know why? Because that will keep us humble. It will keep us grounded in the fact that we also are sinners. That we also don't have it all figured out. That we also need the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you get too long down the road and you forget your own sinfulness you forget your own story, then you will be on a path to destruction and you'll be destroyed before you even realize it. My friend, be reminded of where you've come from and if you need help in reminding yourself of that, uh, ask your kids, ask your spouse, ask a friend, ask God to reveal that to you. Number three is ignoring the power of God working in other people's lives. And that, my friends, is a delusion. See, the Pharisee was living in a delusion and he was living with pride. When we look at other people and we look down on them, we are discounting the work that God has already been doing in them and the work that he could be doing in them in the future. 
Never should we look at a person, no matter their belief system, no matter their policies and political world, no matter what they have going on that you don't like, never should we look at someone. I don't care if they're a serial killer. We should never look at them and think that they're too far gone. And yes, I just said that because God's grace is so much bigger. It doesn't matter what their thing is that you, that you tend to look down on. God is still at work in everyone's life and he can change the most radically evil people to be so committed to him. Why? Because he's better than us. He's better than us. He's so much powerful than us. And we need to always remember that no one is too far gone. My friends, when we bring our pride to Jesus, something really amazing happens. Because when you bring your pride to Jesus, he'll drop it. He'll drop it. And I don't mean like he'll lightly lay it down. When you bring your pride to Jesus, he'll drop it. Knockout punch. Down for the count. Not getting up. Out cold. But you have to say, Jesus, here's my pride Take it and he will drop it because that's what God is in the business of doing. He says, anyone who exalts themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's what he's saying. Anyone dealing with pride, it may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. It may happen 10 years from now, a year from now. But one day there you will have a time, whether you decided to bring that pride to Jesus or that pride was brought to Jesus because Jesus pulled you in, it will be dropped. And one day you will find the reality of our own sinfulness. And what he is inviting us to is to be his people who never lose sight of the grace of God. Because he wants us to be like the tax collector who is overwhelmed by our own sinfulness and overwhelmed by a gracious God. Not to be so caught up in everybody else's stuff as if we don't have our own stuff. You know, Jesus said something in the Sermon on the Mount, like, why are you so fixated on the little speck in your brother's eye, and yet you've got this huge piece of wood right in yours? You look ridiculous. And I think we would all do well to remember that pride kills, and Jesus is calling us to something different. And this is what he's calling us to in Philippians chapter 2. Paul gives us a beautiful picture so that no, 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 not only can we bring our pride to Jesus, but we can adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus and move forward. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, this is what it says. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he, God the Son, emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see what he's saying here? That the one, the one who would have a right to exalt himself, who is a, all that and a bag of chips, who is perfect, who is righteous, who isn't greedy, who isn't an adulterer, 
who isn't unrighteous, but the one who's perfect decided to come down. And what did he do? He humbled himself to the point of death. Why? So that not only would he be exalted, but because we are in Christ Jesus, we would be exalted too. So that no longer would be we be in, in shackled to pride, but we'd be overwhelmed by the grace of God. And so the same attitude is that of Christ Jesus. My friends, we need a lot more humility in our lives. And pride is also, if you, if you ever notice yourself thinking in a sermon, wow, somebody else needs to really hear that. I wish, I wish they were here. I wish they heard it. That's a form of pride. Because never miss what God's trying to do in you and me. We all need to be reminded that pride kills. And it will be dropped when we bring it to Jesus. And that's a good thing. Because pride is something that's so subtle. It's so easy to start allowing in our lives. And so maybe this week, maybe something you could do is to simply go to God and humbly admit, God, I'm prideful. I don't know all the ways I'm prideful, but I know that I am. And I know that you'll reveal it to me. So would you show me, God, where I'm living in a delusion of my own righteousness, where I'm starting to creep into looking down on others and condescend them, because they, for some reason, don't have the same knowledge or same outlook on life as I do. Help me to love them. Help me to humbly operate in my life. I think for all of us, the, the, the pathway is to humble ourselves and repent. I don't know what, where pride manifests in your life, but your kids might, your spouse might, your friends might. And if you were honest with yourself, you spend enough time thinking about it, you might. And so we need to repent. We need to be like the tax collector who came to Jesus, came to God and said, I've got nothing to offer. I'm a sinner. God, please have mercy on me because I've got nothing other than you. Because when we start to compare ourselves, we keep our eyes fixated on Jesus. Man, that gives us a lot of clarity on who we are, who they are what God's trying to do in their life and in ours. So what happens when you find yourself winning at the wrong game? My prayer is that we'd all stop playing that game and play the game that God wants us to. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray and sing out to our awesome God. Father, I thank you so much for sometimes difficult messages that are in your word that we need to hear. God, would you please show us where we've allowed ourselves to be prideful, where we've maybe operated under the idea that we've got things figured out and other people don't. Father, would you create in us a holy humility, God, where we can go to anyone, no matter their bent politically, no matter they're bent socially, no matter their beliefs spiritually, 
where we can go to them and we can love them like you love them. <laughs> Jesus, it's amazing because uh, you were the one who getting <laughs> criticized for being with tax collectors and sinners. You said the healthy don't need a doctor, but those who are sick do. God, may we be the people who understand who we really are, that there is no person on this earth that is without sickness, that is without need for you. God, would you please lead us to lay down our pride, allow you to drop it so that we can step into the life you've called us to. Father, would Jesus' example go before us? Would we be encouraged by what he's done? Holy Spirit, we ask you to have your way in us that we would be able to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. That in moments we want to puff ourselves up that we would be reminded of what your son did by humbling himself. God, may the truth that those who humble themselves will be exalted, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Would that truth steep deep down into our bones? Father, show us our pride. Deal with it and help us to live in grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.